All right. Jude, chapter 1. Jude, next to the last book of the Bible, just 25 verses long. But it's a very condensed statement. Very condensed statement. <clears throat> I'm going to read the first four verses. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old or ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the message tonight is Doing That Which Is Necessary. Doing That Which Is Necessary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. We pray that as we look into the word of God, that again we'd be encouraged and strengthened and resolved um, and determined, Father, by your grace to stand fast, as we heard this morning, to contend for the faith, to hold to the faith once delivered unto the saints. We know that we're living in a day of great apostasy. There's a great turning away from the truth. And I pray you should help us just to be faithful uh, in this time as a witness and testimony as the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the great parliamentarian Edmund Burke said this, quote, The only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, unquote. You know, that's often quoted in political circles. It was often used during our war for independence. I, you know, that statement is made on many occasions. But not only is this true for nations, this is true for churches. Yet many leaders in churches have surrendered their guard. They have surrendered the authority of the scriptures. And it has come with great devastation to the churches as it is to our nation. Be positive. Don't be divisive. Don't be dogmatic. Don't be stuck on absolutes. These are the cries of the day. I've heard many who I thought were good men that I used to look up to say, that's a dead issue. In other words, we don't preach it, out, but preach it anymore because it's divisive. And usually it's talking about standards of some kind. Whether it's dress, hair, music, they don't preach on it. Because they say it causes division. And so they want to be positive. They have become like Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah chapter 30 when he was prophesying to the nation of Israel. And, and you know, this is what they wanted. In Isaiah 30 verses 8 through 11, 
the Bible says, Now go, write before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, Speak unto us smooth or easy things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. See, really what they're doing there is turning God into a God of their own making. Or Amos chapter 7. I just read this yesterday morning. Amos chapter 7 and verses 10 through 13, and this is becoming very applicable in our world. You know, Prophet Amos <clears throat> was prophesying to the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and it says in verse 10 in chapter 7, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus saith Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall be led away captive out of their land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. Prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel. It is the king's court. You know, we have governments that are really making laws, declaring that the church is their court. I don't know if you saw, but another pastor was arrested in Ontario. Church of God pastor. The church was padlocked. They come in during a church service, asked the people to leave, issued uh, warrants or uh, issued uh, arrest warrants for the pastor, uh, the assistant pastor, and find every member of the congregation and padlock the doors. But you know, the Bible tells us that we need to contend for the faith. You know, Jude, by the way, who's a, he declares himself to be the brother of James. Not only is he the brother of James, he's a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know that from Matthew chapter 13, Verse 55 declares all who, who the names of the brethren of the Lord. They were James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters. Uh, so he was a half-brother, and he's, he's writing. He, he desires, his desire was to write of the common salvation. And I spoke about that a couple weeks ago. But then he said, but it was needful. That word needful means there was a necessity laid upon me. There's something that's necessary that I write to you about. You know, I'd rather write about the common salvation. That's, that's easier. You offend less people. But there's something that's necessary. If you're going to properly understand the common salvation, there are some other things you need to understand that are necessary. It has to do with who the Lord is. And that's what this epistle is all about. And so he says, the necessity is laid upon me. And so that's why I titled this message, Doing That Which Is Necessary. Uh, he says, 
verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto saints. It was needful, it was necessary. You know, it's the same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, where he says, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And Jude says, this is necessary that I write this unto you and exhort you. So he's, this, this, this exhortation is necessary. The word exhort means to admonish, to warn, to put in your mind. You know, and Jude understands the dangers of being led astray. Because I want to take you back in time a little bit. Because he was deceived for a time. You're bring, being, growing up in the same house with the Lord Jesus Christ, you would think he'd have known who he was. But he didn't. He didn't accept him for who he was. At least until the crucifixion or the resurrection. And you know, this is, this is a natural progression of man. This is the way man is. You know, man's easily led astray. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, you have the creation of man, and you have perfect fellowship between man and God. And chapter 3, sin enters the picture, and that fellowship is broken. But it's restored by God through the sacrifice of an animal and in the promise of Redeemer. But chapter 4, there's open rebellion again with Cain, who, who does what he wants. He says, I'll worship God my way. And, and so there's that opening bell, and it's not healed, it continues. And then chapter 6 tells us there's intermarriage between the godly line of Seth and the godly line of Cain, the ungodly line of Cain, and man continues to stray further and further from God until the flood. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah, the Bible says, Noah walked with God. And God brought a flood, and, and you know what he did? He, he gave man a restart. You know, people are talking today about the great reset that's coming. You know, there's been several, t- several resets by God. That he's that he basically started over. That man has departed so far from God, so go, gone so far in his rebellion and, and, and uh, uh, in a place of no turning back that God started over. And of course, after Noah, you have the rebellion at the Tower of Babel where they were scattered and their languages were confounded and so that from there you have nations and and now in rebellion we're trying to build a one world government just like they did is there if there's one thing that history ought to tell us is that man's sinfulness doesn't change from babel you have the calling of abraham abram so you have a family and then a nation of israel and by the time of jacob's death and the lives of his brothers they had so compromised with the nations that, would you know they were the people of God? There's a restart, again, effort with Moses, whom was chosen by the Lord, the 40 years in the wilderness and their wanderings. And then you'd think they'd learn, but just skip a generation, you know, and you, know, and you come to the book of Judges and, 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 and you have... You have a, a, a departure from God and then a cry out to God and a little get right, a little bit of a reset and then a departure from God. It seems like every other generation it seems like the next generation grows up and thinks, you know what? We're smarter than our parents were. 
We think we can get away. We'll get away with this. And though Jude was a half-brother to Lord Jesus, he, along with his brothers, did not believe on him, it appears, till after the death and resurrection. For example, look at John chapter 7. Here's why I say that. John chapter 7. <clears throat> there are several instances in the Bible that bear this out. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, that is Jerusalem, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, and that was always held in Jerusalem. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So his brothers are saying to him, Hey, why don't you go into Judea? And so your disciples can see your works that you do. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. See, they were saying this, and they were, they were challenging him. You know, the Jews wanted to kill him the last time he was in Jerusalem, and so he hasn't gone back there for a while, but the Feast of the Tabernacle is coming up, and all the Jews go to Jerusalem for this time. And so the, his brethren are saying, hey, hey, you know, if you're say who you say you are, why don't you go up to Jerusalem and show yourself? You think you're such a smarty? You see, this was, this was said not in compliment, but in derision. This was said in derision of him, because they didn't believe in him. Then said Jesus, verse 6, unto them, My time is not yet come. Not, it's not time for me yet to die. That's really what that means. But your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth. Me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go you up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. Look also in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, verses 46 through 50. Matthew 12, 46. It says, And while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told them, him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Now, you know, it doesn't explicitly say here, but I believe what's happening is, they, they, are, they are concerned that he's going off the deep end and he's beside himself, claiming who he, who he claimed to be. And so they want to talk to him and try, to, try, to, try to, to help him a little bit. They want to distract him from what he's doing. So, so Jude, you know, he didn't really believe on him, and so he's, he's exhorting us, he's, he's warning us, don't be deceived or don't be led astray by the errors of the wicked. You know, he may have been, you know, being a, being a half-brother, he may have been jealous of all the attention Jesus received. And that's sometimes that happens in families. 
But he says, now this is needful, this is necessary. Your eternal soul hangs in the balance as mine did. Don't do as I did. Heed my warning. I know it's not popular, it's not the easy way, but it is the truth, for he is the truth. He is who he claimed to be. The Messiah, the Christ. You know, that was probably a hard pill for Judas, Jude, to swallow. And so he says it's needful that you earnestly contend for the faith. That word earnestly contend means to struggle or contend for a thing. To struggle. You know, the picture might be a wrestler struggling to defend his, his seed or his victory. And so we, are to, we have to continue to earnestly struggle or contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know, Paul warned us, and, and, and almost all the New Testament writers warned us of the apostasy. Paul warned the Ephesian elders, remember in chapter 20 of the book of Acts, you know, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time where he'll be arrested. And he calls for the elders of uh, the church at Ephesus in verse 17. And, uh, and he says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The word elder is another, another term for pastor, bishop, means the same thing. When they were come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner of men, manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, and here's the warning, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseas, seers, to feed the flock of God, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, but by the space of three years I cease not to warn Everyone night and day with tears. So Paul is saying, look, you elders at Ephesus, you need to earnestly contend. Because there's going to be grievous wolves sneak in among you. There are going to be men arise of your own selves speaking perverse things. So you need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I want you to notice also these 
things or this departure creeps in unawares. Notice verse 4. There are certain men crept in unawares. Now, when people teach, start teaching false doctrine, they don't come out and say, now I'm going to teach you a doctrine that isn't historical, that nobody has taught before, that I know you and your church didn't believe before, but you know this is what, and I believe this is the truth, and I know you probably didn't believe it this way before, but this is what I believe the truth is. They don't, they don't preface anything by that. They just simply come in and start teaching something, teaching it as if it's Bible. You know, one of the uh, uh, one man who used to used to uh, lead church, help lead churches and how to to go from traditional contemporary services wrote a book about how it's done. You know, of course, you do, you make subtle changes. You make subtle changes. You don't you don't change everything at once. You make subtle changes. Unawares. They creep in. I remember when my wife was in Bible college, and uh, we were talking on the phone. She was telling about this doctrine teacher and some of the things he was teaching. And I said, one day I said to her, I said, that sounds like Calvinism. You know, Calvinism basically teaches that some people are chosen to be saved and some people are chosen to be lost. And if you're chosen to be saved, you can't resist the grace of God. Uh, you're, you're the elect. But if you're chosen to be lost, well, there's no hope for you. And that's just God's sovereign choice. Well, he, he didn't call it that, you know. But he taught, he didn't, he didn't come out and give the whole doctrine in one setting. He taught a little bit piece by piece by piece. It was subtle. It was subtle. And after a couple of weeks, I said, that is Calvinism. That is five-point Calvinism. And I gave her this little acrostic of a, called TULIP. Total depravity. It means you are totally unable even to believe. God has to make you believe. You can't even believe God because you're totally depraved. The Bible doesn't teach that. Because you're, you're spiritually dead. Well, just because a person is dead, you know, we are, the, the Bible says we are dead in trespasses since, but that doesn't mean we're spiritually inactive. Because lots of unsaved people worship a lot of things. <laughs> they're spiritually active, they're just separated from God. Death in the Bible means separation, that's all it means. But they, say, they take it to mean you, you can't even choose to believe. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches, but that's not what they, how they define it. There's a... There's a uh, un, unconditional election, I think it is. Unconditional election. So if you're chosen to be saved, then you will be saved. There's limited atonement. In other words, salvation isn't offered to all. Whosoever will means a group. And irresistible grace means if you're one of those chosen, you will not be able to resist the, the draw of God to be saved. Well, I've known people that have resisted the Spirit of God. 
King Agrippa did. Felix did. We have examples in the Bible of men who resisted the Spirit of God drawing them. They were under conviction. It was obvious. They turned away. And then the preservation of the saints. If you, your preser- perseverance, I'm sorry, perseverance of the saints. You, are, you will persevere in Christ. That's, that's, that's Calvinism. See, they sneak in with these things. That's, that's, you know, it's, it's a damnable heresy is what it is. So these men creep in unawares, and it says they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. In other words, that simply that doesn't mean they were chosen for this purpose. It simply means that they were designated or set forth beforehand in the Scriptures in the Old Testament. They were prophesied about. In fact, Enoch here in... in uh, uh, verse 14 says, Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all their ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. So, so what Judah is saying here, look, these people were, were prophesied of. You know, the prophets prophesied of them in the Old Testament, and they prophesied about them in the New Testament. Peter speaks of them. In fact, in uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter, in chapter 4, or chapter 2, I believe it is. Yeah, chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false preachers among you, who shall privately, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies and denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious, their ungodly ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. They'll speak evil of the truth. You know, these are not, these are unsafe people, but they are, they profess to be Christians. And they will speak evil of the truth. And I'll illustrate that in a minute. And so, uh, these are, or of old, ordained to this condemnation or this, this penal sentence of judgment. The uh, Bible here calls them ungodly uh, men. That means they're destitute of reverential awe towards God. They don't have reverence for God. There's a lack of reverence for God. And I want to notice, notice two, two words I want to focus on here. There's a turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God. Turning and denying. The word turning here means... To turn one thing into another. To turn one thing into another. It's to pervert the grace of God to license. To seek from the grace of God an argument in defense of licentiousness. Now, and this is what we see in our world today. In Christendom as a whole, there's a perverting of the grace of God into a license to sin. Because if we're under grace, we're no longer under the law. There are no responsibilities to the law. You, can, you know, it really doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter. God loves you anyway. How do we know what sin is? Bible says, my Bible says, by the law, knowledge of sin is by the knowledge of the law. That's how we know what sin is. And whether you're an unsaved person 
or a saved person, sin is still sin described or defined by the law and still an offense against God. And so he says here what they're doing is they're turning the grace or perverting the grace of God into license or a, def- to, on a way to defend licentiousness or he says here lasciviousness. Now the word lasciviousness means is defined as unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, wantonness, shamelessness, insolence. Now I know those are all big words, but I'll define Let's define a couple of them in English. That's a Greek definition. You know, to, the word wanton uh, is described by dictionary.com as acts or manners, as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Licentiousness, again, uh, I'm sorry, that, that, was, that word wanton was a, was a Bible definition. The word wanton, dictionary.com, means sexually lawless or unrestrained. Loose, lascivious. Licentiousness, according to dictionary.com, means a throwing off of sexual restraint. Lewd character or behavior. So here we go. Let's go something like this. If God made the weed, why can't we smoke it? I mean, after all, God made everything beautiful in his time. He made everything for us, so why can't we smoke it? He also made poison ivy. Why don't you smoke that? We'd all know about it if he did. You know. Uh, but let's go f- further. If God created sex, what's wrong with it in two consenting people, whether they're male or female? And that's the philosophy that's being promoted by this ungodliness. So how do you answer that? Okay, you mechanics. Have you ever tried putting gasoline in your diesel? Or how about diesel in your gasoline? In your gas vehicle? Or you could put mixed gas in your lawnmower. That's a family joke. Um, How about how about you heat a closed room with a propane heater? That's a family joke, too. Family reality. Why don't you put your electric heater in the bathtub to heat your hot water? Hmm? You know, what am I saying here? Everything has boundaries that guide its use. Everything does including the things that God created, whether it's sex or plants. Everything has boundaries to guide its use. And when you violate those boundaries, there are consequences. But see, 
our modern, enlightened, Christian, unquote, quote unquote, world thinks there's no boundaries. God created all for us just to enjoy. And we can do whatever we want with it as long as we're consenting adults. Or, now it's becoming not even adults. Let me give you a good Bible illustration. Psalm 81.16 says, He should have fed them with the finest of wheat and with honey out of the rock. Should I have satisfied thee? Proverbs 24.13, My son, eat thou honey, because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. However, there are some boundaries to honey. Proverbs 25.16 says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. 25.27 goes a little further and says, It is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. If you eat too much honey, you're going to get jaundice. I went to school, Bible school, with a fella who loved honey. And he started to turn yellow. He was getting jaundice. He wasn't a little baby. He was an adult because he was eating too much honey. Honey's good. Honey's good for you. But not too much. There are boundaries. There's boundaries to that. You know, there are boundaries of holiness that God has set that will not be changed. Though men try to change, they will not be changed. You know, and what they're trying to do here is trying to force them upon God. And in doing so, they are creating their own God and your own way to God. And when men say they worship God, but leave the boundaries that God has established, they are worshiping a God of their own design. And that's what we see in our world today. That is modern day Christianity. It's a Christianity of man's making, man's origin. Not by the authority of the word of God. And it is, this is the final thing, it is a denial of the Lord. Notice again verse 4. There are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, Ungodly men turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says they are denying the only Lord God. The only God. He's the only God. He's the only Lord. And it's the denial of Him. So this is a denial of the Lord being your Lord. When we, when we set out to establish our own boundaries, rejecting the boundaries that God has established, and, and you could call them boundaries, you can call them standards, you can call them the law of God, the moral law of God, it's all the same thing. But when you reject that and set your own boundaries, establish what you think is right for yourself, 
uh, and, uh, you know, uh, what you think is for your enjoyment and benefit, it becomes a curse to you. A curse. And our nation is cursed. Now, as I said last week, this anti-authority movement didn't start in the halls of Congress and the office of Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House. It started in churches and in homes where people have rejected the authority of God. And when you reject reject the authority of God, pretty soon you reject the authority of your parents, and pretty soon you reject the authority of the police, and pretty soon you and you become your own authority. And what that leads is to anarchy. Anarchy. See, we violate when we start violating the boundaries, the laws that God has established, that we thought were for our enjoyment and benefit. They become a curse to us. It brings trouble, conflict, guilt, destruction, and death. Again, as I mentioned this morning, we have a multitude of witnesses that could say that is true. Just ask Samson or David. David thought he could get away with adultery and then murder. Do you realize 40,000 Israelites died as a result because of the civil war with Absalom? Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, married all these strange wives. How in the world he thought he could manage all those women, I'm not sure. Yet the mother-in-laws... But they turned away his heart. What God said and told him not to do happened. Turned away his heart. Manasseh. You know, modern day, apostasy doesn't really have anything on Manasseh. You know, I know we have abortion. We just kill them before they're born. Manasseh just killed them when they were born. Same thing. Still murder. He had turned the temple into a prostitution house. But his God, that he claimed to worship, brought the Assyrians and took him out in chains. And then Manasseh humbled himself and sought the Lord his God. And you know, God brought him back to Jerusalem. Back to his throne. It was never like it was. Never like what it could have been. He was the son of Hezekiah. That was one of the glory days of Israel, of Judah. He had it all going for him. They lost it all. All the wealth, all the gold, now everything now that the vessels now are brass. Look at Proverbs, and I'll close with this. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. 
and verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. You have said it not all my counsel with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my proof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So again, Jude says, look, you need to be doing that which is necessary. This was needful. It's needful that you earnestly contend for the faith. If you're going to keep the faith, if we're going to keep the faith as a church, we're going to have to continually struggle and contend against apostasy. But even as individuals, we have to continue to exercise effort to maintain that fellowship with the Lord and that steadfastness that God, that is honored by God and that glorifies Him. Might the Lord help us to earnestly contend for the faith. Don't be deceived. There are many false prophets, but we need to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints.